When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard-to-recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello! I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I had to take a cold shower today because my power turned off. Hi, I'm Gabe Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon. And when I go second, I really get a lot of information about you. <laughs> it was terrible. I threw a big fit and I screamed the whole time. Why is your power off? I don't know. It just went off at 8 at eight a.m. this morning for no apparent reason. What? I know. And 400 homes are affected. It was It was already off when you left to come here? Yeah, I was in the middle of my workout watching TV. The TV went off and I went, uh-oh. Either this is a TV problem or a whole house problem, whole house problem. So now what? I, uh, they, they're going to send a crew to maybe fix it. Oh, man. But I was like, oh, it'll be OK, though, because this was what's so funny. So many things happened this morning. So I was like, I got up for whatever reason. Nobody cares, but I'm going to I'm going to share. It takes me hours to get ready in the morning. What? I got to walk the dogs. I got to do my 30 to 40 minute workout. I got to eat breakfast. I got to shower. Like for me to like be ready to come here to record. I'm like, I need three hours. Whoa. <laughs> so I got up at seven. But I think I'm incorporating into my morning routine that I often do a lot of cleaning and the dishes as well, which extends the time. Oh. But this morning I didn't do that. And for whatever reason, I was like really moving and grooving. And I was like, I have all this extra time. I'm having such a lovely morning. Oh. I had a nice iced coffee. I read my book. I was having a great time. And I was like, yeah, the power's out. But we have we have gas to power our hot water. So it'll be fine. Oh, babe. But it wasn't. Oh, babe. And so I literally went from being like, I'm having the best morning. What a lovely morning I'm having to me screaming that I can't possibly take a cold shower and John having to be there with me. And it was actually really nice because every time I screamed, he screamed too. Wow. That's, and that's, um, that's, that's therapeutic. Marriage. Yeah, that's yeah. marriage. Well, first of all, you describing your morning is so funny to me because I wish there was a split screen for like my morning. Yeah, what did you do? Well, I roll out of bed and uh, I put on like a sweatshirt and I take beans down to, to walk to pee and I'm grumpy. But how uh, long is that walk? Oh, it's like 10 minutes. He doesn't yeah. want to walk. No, he yeah. my My morning walk isn't very long. Yeah, Beans Beans hates it. He hates the concept of being outside. Like if this dog could just like live in the house and mm. live under a pile of blankets, he would. He has no, this is like my eight pound chihuahua. He has no desire to be walking, no desire to be outside, no desire to hear sounds. Yeah. Absolutely none of it. 
So then I take him, I make a coffee at home. I'm usually rushing. I'm trying to get, I'm like trying to get out the door in time. So I'm, I'm not taking three hours to like read a book and drink an iced coffee. I'm like. <laughs> you don't do a full workout every morning? No, I'm rushing around. <laughs> I'm putting clothes on. I'm like. Did you shower this morning? I showered last night because I, I met someone off Grinder, And so I had to, I came back and showered at like 1 a.m. Nice. And then we have different lifestyles. I know. I know. <laughs> and then it was sweet. And then Alex came over uh, after he was at like dodgeball. This is my boyfriend. And we were just laying, laying in bed, looking at what were we looking at? We were we were watching stuff like just laying in bed. But then I ended up showing him like how big iguanas can get in Florida. Like, so this is my life. And then at two o'clock, he like went home. So, so we he just, just came over for like an hour after your hookup to look yeah, at iguanas. Just to like, yeah, just to like, not just look at iguanas, but to sort of talk and cuddle and like hang out. That's so nice. And I was like, my life's cool. <laughs> How long before you had to leave did you wake up? So I had to leave at 10. I woke up at like 9.15. Wow. And I made some coffee and I did some like work emails. I took beans out. Did you eat a breakfast? A yogurt. Nice. Yeah. I, I get it done. But it's like literally I wish it was a split screen where it just showed me like waking up, like hitting <laughs> I've snooze. I've already been up like, for two hours. Been up for hours. <laughs> yeah. I'm like rolling out of bed. I'm like, ugh, you know, like I think that this would be pretty accurate to what people thought. You're and then it starts the night before you're asleep at like 10 p.m. I leave my house at <laughs> midnight to go meet up with some random man. <laughs> I do sleep in, though. Like, I only got up early today because I had this. Like, I've been sleeping in until, like, 8, 830. Ooh. Pretty cool. I what? feel really guilty about it. And I'm like, Allison, you got to get on a better schedule. What time do you go to bed? I don't want to talk about it. Uh, nine? I sometimes am in bed at nine so I can have my reading time. Okay, wow. I left my apartment at, like, 1130. <laughs> This is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty about our morning routines. I was going to say, <laughs> if it's your first time here, we're sort of an odd couple. <laughs> we're sort of different. Well, we have got a great episode for everyone today. We're going to be talking to Simon Kent Fung about a really important topic, which is like conversion therapy um, and his deep dive into it and also his own experiences. And it's an amazing interview. So we're really excited to share it. And later, we're going to be talking about, hi, everyone, Allison here. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books, and that is why I am so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new releases 
release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment and she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out and she's, she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you wanna take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, Go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before so I'm so excited for that. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code just between us for 10% off today are turnoffs, both uh, romantic and friendship and work. Yeah. Like what it's like when you're like, oh, no, not that person. (laughs) Up next, we have an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Simon Kent Fung. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, our guest is Simon Kent Fung, the host of Tenderfoot's upcoming new podcast, Dear Alana. Simon's devout involvement with the conservative subculture of the Catholic Church gave him firsthand experience of the writings, tactics, and personalities impacting young Catholics and their mental health. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. So glad to be here. So there's so much to talk about with you, but I think something that we would really like to get into is conversion therapy. And Mm. can you sort of just start off by explaining what conversion therapy is and sort of how it's viewed in today's America? 
Absolutely. So Dear Alana, the podcast that, that I made really goes into this topic of conversion therapy because it impacted both the subject of the story, um, this young woman named Alana Chen, as well as my own. When a lot of people think of conversion therapy, they often think about sort of the way it's maybe portrayed in Hollywood in this sort of dramatized way, whether it's like someone throwing a Bible at you or, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe in a sort of campy way. Uh, a camp of some sort, or even historically, things like electroshock or aversion therapy, and even like lobotomies, like they used to do that as well. But the way that conversion therapy most like often looks today is a lot more like talk therapy um, with a therapist uh, in a clinical setting. This was my experience. And so I pursued conversion therapy for almost all of my 20s in my attempt to join the seminary and become a Catholic priest. And what I didn't know at the time you know, when I was pursuing it was kind of the background behind it. And it was obviously through going through it that I learned what that entailed. Conversion therapy is, today is often premised on the, the theories that uh, Sigmund Freud developed around psychoanalysis and the idea that our current you know, adulthood is shaped by our childhood experiences, and in particular, our relationship with our parents. And so a lot of people took Freud's ideas and ran with them and developed these, you know, I guess you would call them conversion therapy narratives around why people are, are gay. So for example, in the case of men, and you can sort of flip it for women, although it's slightly different, but for men, the idea is that, you know, I was gay because I, growing up, had some um, either trauma or bad experience with men in my life. So that, that could have been my father, um, that could be other boys, peers. And that because of that, I disconnect from my masculinity. And so then what happens, according to the theory, is that as I hit puberty, that sort of desire to connect with that inner masculinity became sexualized. And so that's what I be, you know, started seeking out in other people. And you know, that's why I experienced what a lot of conservative folks would consider uh, not homosexuality, but same-sex attraction, which is kind of the way they want to describe in a more clinical way, this you know condition of being homosexual. So, so that's kind of the basis of it. And the therapy itself, I can talk more about what that involved. But that's kind of the theoretical basis for a lot of this. And and for women, it's 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 similar in that you know the the young the young girl disconnects from her mother for whatever reason, and so she's seeking that sort of maternal dimension in her relationship. And I do want to share this because I feel like. A lot of times conversion therapy is easily dismissed as this sort of archaic thing, but as you might hear from what I'm describing, it can sound pretty reasonable for a lot of people, especially for someone who's really motivated to quote unquote change. I was going to ask, are you, were you raised Catholic? Is that you don't often see portrayals of someone pursuing conversion therapy for themselves? Yeah. So, I mean, I was raised very, I guess, moderately or nominally Catholic. My dad was Catholic. My mom wasn't for most of my life. And so we would go to church like whenever we could, not not very regularly. You know, my, my dad, I think, tried his best. And and so we were kind of just these, I guess you would say, middle of the road Catholics growing up. And it wasn't until I, I guess, my late teens, so in, in college really was when I encountered this, I guess, subculture within the Catholic church that is very present in a lot of college campuses that presented the religion and the faith to me in this very appealing, vibrant way that provided community and also like an intellectual education and training on 
a lot of those gaps that I felt like I didn't get when I was growing up. And that was kind of the setting that really set the stage for me to feel like I needed to pursue this. And and you're right. Like, I think a lot of people often think of this as something that's forced onto them. And for a lot of people, it is. But for me and for for Alana Chen, this, this young woman who I talk about in the podcast, this was something that we sought out ourselves. And in Alana's case, she sought it out secretly behind her parents' back. And so when did your like discovery of your sexuality like come into play for you? Like, is it something that you always felt growing up was wrong because of, of, of your religious beliefs or, or was it more once you hit college and learned more about Catholicism that you started to worry about it? Yeah. I mean, I think I was growing up, I, I felt a little bit different in many different ways. I was somewhat gender nonconforming as a young child. I was bullied a lot, really quiet. And, and so I think for a lot of reasons, I felt isolated. And yeah, it wasn't until I was, you know, a, a young teenager that I began feeling these attractions towards other, you know, other boys my age. And I didn't know what to do with that, honestly. Like, I think I, like a lot of people, um, I brushed it aside. Certainly there were cultural reasons why this was something that felt dangerous in some ways. But I think like I, I kind of brushed it aside and felt like this was something I could deal with later. And so I focused a lot on getting good grades and being a good student. And it was really in, in my late teens and late years of high school and beginning college that I felt like this was not going away. And along with this desire that I felt for, for a lot of my life to, to serve God and the church and becoming a priest, th- those two, the, that and, and my orientations felt like it was on a co- collision course. And, and that became something that forced me to need to take a look at this. And through my own research and internet reading, as well as you know, encountering um, some spiritual mentors and guides in my life, I was, I ended up pursuing um, conversion therapy. It's interesting, though, that if you wanted to become a priest that you felt like, which, you know, in Catholicism means you're not supposed to have sexual relations with anybody, mm-hmm. that you felt like you also still had to change your sexuality. Yeah. You know, I think like I was a little weird in that you're right, like Catholicism, in Catholicism, the priesthood is is the priests do take a vow of celibacy, same as nuns. And, and I think the reality is that a lot of people who enter these religious callings are, are also gay. But I was such a by-the-book person that I like actually like dug up some Vatican guidelines and policies on the subject around seminary admissions and and was like was trying to follow it all so perfectly that you know one of these documents that was released basically said that if you had deep-seated homosexual tendencies that you were not suitable for the seminary in practice a lot of a lot of young men lie about that or or they sort of rationalize it to be like well it's not deep-seated so i I, i'm fine but i i just i think i just was trying to be really honest with everyone and so i felt like i needed to clear you know quote unquote like clear this up and, and and not not be in this category in order to apply. And so I, I took it on myself to kind of follow that rule very carefully. And, and I think that's why it went that direction. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and 
other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. So how did you seek out what the therapy was? Like where where did it start and what like what were the therapies that you were there different ones that you were trying throughout your 20s to sort of be like which one's going to stick? Absolutely. Yeah, so I my first my first attempt was well, there were a few things I did initially. One was I I kind of immersed myself in the world of this was in the mid-aughts. So this was, you know, the 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 world of conversion therapy and, and what's called as ex-gay ministry. I, I first began my journey by going to a a conference organized by Exodus International, which is which was the largest network of ex-gay ministries, Christian ministries. I went actually with my parents. I dragged my parents with me. And, you know, we attended talks and learned all about these parental attachment theories and bought all the books. I then moved to New York City to do an internship ostensibly, but the, the main reason I was there was because I, I went, wanted to find a ther- the sort of the best therapist I could find on this, on the subject and ended up taking, you know, undergoing one-on-one therapy with a licensed therapist who offered what's known as reparative therapy, which is sort of a sub-branch of conversion therapy where they really develop this theory further and have ways of basically are trying to address these traumas or these experiences in childhood that they believe made you gay. And so I worked intensively with him. And then I also did group therapy. And so I attended weekly sessions with uh, a bunch of other young men in their um, late teens and early 20s. And we would meet every week and do various kinds of group exercises to help us to, you know, work through some of these, I guess, what they would consider underlying issues. I can talk more about what what some of those involved, but yeah, that that was kind of the scope. And then and then I think say the last area of of pursuit that I went to towards under the category of conversion therapy was the religious route. So I I went to various like healing and deliverance ministries and masses. And on the religious side, it really takes on more religious language and explanation. So rather than purely psychological, it goes into kind of the theological reasons for why you might be gay. And so they'll use language around, you know, spiritual brokenness and the need for there to be deliverance and healing in these areas. And so I also tried that as well. 
So curious what your relationship with yourself was during that period. I mean, I really didn't tell anybody about any of this. Uh, My parents certainly knew I was trying to do this, but I kept this all a big secret because I felt a lot of shame about this. This was something that I felt like I needed to quote unquote fix and then move on. You know, like there was, it, it almost felt like my 20s were this decade of pausing my life to like wait until I was a certain way so that I could continue living it. After that point, when I was changed or different, I felt really ashamed. I felt like I was generally hiding from everyone, keeping track of, you know, who might think certain things about me and suspect that I was doing this, always trying to cover my tracks about what I was doing certain evenings. This was something that, yeah, I kept really private. And I think for a lot of people, the shame keeps them from, from yeah, bringing other people into their lives to, to be open about these topics and, and also helps keep a lot of these practices underground. Yeah. I mean, the risk is that you run into talking to other gay people who are like, wait, you don't have to do this. Right. We love you and we support you and you don't have to do this. Yeah. I think like what's interesting is, and, and I, I'd love to share more about Alana because I think she really helped me in reading about her, you know, story and in, in learning more about her through her own journals. She really helped me see that part of the reason why I was so isolated in this period was because she and I were both kind of taught to really mistrust the the, the outside world um, on these subjects, and and so I think that like there was a general fear and suspicion around other gay people because they were seen as having somehow conceded to the temptations of the world. They were, you know, no no longer aligned with the truth and God. And so I think I intentionally, both subconsciously and consciously, stayed away from gay and queer spaces because I was afraid that I would be sort of tempted or influenced in a way that would steer me off from this path that I felt like was the the right way. How did you find Alana's story? So fast forward to 2019, I had already stopped trying to pursue this kind of therapy and this kind of change in my life. But I was in a coffee shop and I I was living in San Francisco. I know I was living in San Francisco at the time and Oh wow. So you stopped conversion therapy and moved to San Francisco? <laughs> yeah. So I mean this is this is something that's sort of spoiler alert in the podcast, but for completely different reasons, for work reasons, I relocated to the Bay Area <laughs> after New York City. And it was, yeah, it was there that I was even more like isolated and lonely and had to sort of to, re, you know, remake friends yeah. and all of that. And it, it was in that period that I, I felt like that was kind of my rock bottom in terms of the toll that this was having on me psychologically, the secrets that I was trying to keep from everybody. But moving past that point, I was in a coffee shop reading. Uh, scrolling through my through my phone and just came across this news article about the death of of Alana Chen and reading the outlines of her story as it was reported, I felt like I was struck by lightning. It was like I, I couldn't believe there was this was the story of this young woman who dreamed of becoming a nun since she was a young teenager, was told to keep this secret when she had come out to her priest about her sexual orientation and also pursued conversion therapy. And, and that was sort of, those were some of the, the main points that were outlined. But then I was also reading between the lines and I was picking up on some of the language that was being used to describe her experience and recognize elements, you know, about her community and her church community that I felt were very similar to mine, even though, 
you know, I'm over a decade over, older than her and was living in a very different part of the country. And so I immediately, I was just like sobbing in the corner of this coffee shop and was like, oh my goodness. And I ended up trying to find her family, you know, just to find a way to reach out to them and offer my condolences. Um, I found her mother on Facebook and ended up emailing her, sharing with her some of my own story that I hadn't really told really anyone and offered any kind of support that I could give give her and was not expecting a reply at all. Just, you know, obviously it was so traumatic for them. And her mother, Joyce, ended up getting back to me and we ended up talking on the phone a few months later. And that began like a phone and texting conversation that extended for the next couple of years. And that that was kind of me getting to know Alana more through her mother and also in me brewing the sort of questions around like what really happened to her and what was going on. Her, her family was certainly at a big loss around explanations and we're trying to find answers. Fast forward to 2021, I just left my job uh, after burning out and needed to take a, a few months off. And I was lying in bed awake at night at 2 a.m. And I just, Alana kept on haunting me. Like this was this, you know, vibrant, like, amazing kind of all around all-star kind of kid. And she had this tragic end and felt like I needed to figure out what happened to her. And, and that was the beginning of proposing the idea of maybe documenting this um, in audio. And that began the journey of making this podcast, Dear Alana. I'm also so curious, like when your transition away from conversion therapy happened, because I think that's maybe the part of the story that she didn't get to, right? Yeah. I mean, she she actually did in the last two years of her life, um, breaking away from some of these ideas and these approaches. For me, it was kind of, as I mentioned, that kind of rock bottom moment where I was feeling very depressed and feeling very stuck. And And I think the way I explain it to a lot of people is the shame that a lot of people feel for being, you know, LGBTQ is 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 certainly strong enough for a lot of us. Stack on top of that the shame that you've been told that you've you're this way because of some sort of damage or trauma that you've you've experienced, right? And then now stack on top of that, so this sort of triple layer, the failure that you feel for not being able to change this, even after you've worked so hard at ad- addressing quote unquote these root issues, that leads a lot of people to despair. And I think I was in the middle of that when I'd moved to the Bay Area. I felt like I had no future. I felt like, you know, my kind of dream was not ever going to come true. And then I felt so broken that I was like, oh my God, even even God can't fix this part of me. And so I think that kind of despair is what a lot of people experience and unfortunately can lead to and, and can lead to suicide. You know, LGB folks who have experienced who have experienced conversion therapy are twice as likely to attempt suicide than those who haven't. Part of telling the story, and you know, her family has, in the process of of making it, had given me access to Alana's belongings, including her journals. Reading in Alana's own words, some of the struggle I think helps humanize. You know, what that experience is like to feel that kind of despair after you've been trying so hard to, you know, to find belonging in your community. If you want to hear the rest of this episode, and let me tell you, you do, head over to patreon.com slash justbetweenus. And for $3 a month, you can get access to all of our podcast episodes in full ad-free. You can also get merch for this podcast at justbetweenuspod.com or alisonraskinexposed.com. Okay, that's it. Tata la T2. <laughs> Tata la T2. <laughs> 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.